listening to Pete Pass's Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. This is Keith Price, and welcome back to another episode of Keith Price's Curtain Call. And you listen to that music in the background. Listen to that. Too soulful, and you're not going to believe how fierce the showman is. It, I'm lucky because, again, how many opportunities do you get to sit and say, oh, I'm sitting across from television, and we're just chatting, having a little good thing. Honey, that's from his little latest CD that he has out, Songs for You. And it is, again, a fabulous collection. But you know what? He's got the CDs. He's got a little Broadway show going on down the street from where we're actually sitting. He is currently now eight shows a week in the acapella musical that is everyone is talking about because you have made probably every musician's union very angry. <laughs> He can be seen in transit. You got to hear from the first interview that I got to do this year was with um, the fabulous Chesney Snow, who is also in that show. And I'm so lucky now because tracking down Taylor Leong is hard, honey. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Nate? You know what? I'm very thrilled. It's, It's really kind of fun because here we are now sitting, what, a half a block away from where you're doing your show right now in transit, written by, you know, Oscar winner. Kristen Lopez. Yes, Kristen Anderson Lopez. Come I on. know. But you know, but the crazy thing is, you know, she wrote this show along with James Allen Ford and Russ Kaplan and also Sarah Wordsworth. They wrote it when they were, you know, they started working on it when they were just young, 20-somethings, 30-somethings in New York trying to make it. So before Kristen won the Oscars and before, you know, Sarah is also a very accomplished writer and Russ and, and James Allen, you know, before any of that happened, they were, they were just... They were young artists in New York trying to make it, and they found camaraderie in each other in in this a cappella group that they all sang together in. And then what happened was then 9-11 happened, and they kind of sought each other for solace, and they, they were inspired to do something that was a love letter to New York City. And they said, you know what? Our a cappella group is great, but instead of singing Madonna covers and Michael Jackson covers, maybe we should sing about what we go through every day as New Yorkers right. and, and, how, and how we're always struggling to get from point A to point B. And sometimes we don't always get there the way we want to get there. Or sometimes we don't get there as quickly as we want to get there. And they, um, they found that that really resonated with crowds. And it started off as like, you know, an evening of songs at the duplex. Right. And now... It's a full-on Broadway show, you know, directed by three-time Tony Award winner Kathleen Marshall. I mean, it's like, now it's a full-fledged Broadway musical. So Okay, so we're talking about the show In Transit Down the Street, Kathleen Marshall name. Pick it up. Hello. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you do a little bit of clicking around like I did before I came in here, because, you know, I, you know, I, Telly and I, we just talked about it earlier that we do know a few people together. Oh, yeah. We 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 kind of run in the same <laughs> crowd, per se. It's a good crowd. It's a good crowd, but this bitch, let me tell you about her. <laughs> Telly Leong, it, your story is so fabulous that your... You're a Carnegie Mellon grad. You're a New Yorker, first and foremost. So doing a show like In Transit must be really great. Oh, it's my – I mean, I live this. You know, I I grew up in Brooklyn. My parents are still there. Uh, And and then I ended up going to a high school in New York called Stuyvesant, which is in downtown New York, right off Chamber Street, right off the Chamber Street stop. So I would take the subway every day, twice a day. That was my commute 
you know, in high school for four years. And, um, and you know, and, and of course, then I, as students in New York City, I don't know if people know this, but you get a, you get to ride the subway for free. You get a Metro card with free rides on it. Right. And so, you know, I would ride up to TKTS and ride to the Broadway, to, you know, to the theater community, to the to Hell's Kitchen, and I would go and get my lotto seats and my, like, half-price seats and my TDF seats, all of that, you know, to go see Broadway shows whenever I could. And, um and and you know and it was great i i kind of had a free pass to the city museums and and broadway shows and theater and and arts and opera and lincoln center and so it was um yeah this the in transit story it it, it definitely resonates with me you know this kind of love letter to new york thing it's but you know it's so funny because you know i was going to i was going in this direction where i was thinking about the people that you have had this historic kind of connection to because of your broadway um, career options that you've had. Mm-hmm. But I realized as you were telling the story about being a part of New York from the very beginning, is that what fueled your energy to want to perform? Although like Stuyvesant's in like an engineering school it's, or something like that. Yeah. So you're a math science person with a desire to be an artist the whole time through? Well, it's, well you know, I, I also grew up uh, you know, the son of immigrant parents. So my so my parents came from Hong Kong. You know, they came to New York with 200 bucks in their pocket. They crashed on friends' couches in Chinatown on Mott Street, you know, and, um, you know, and they saved every penny. They could only afford one kid. So they had me. I'm an only child. And so, um, you know, being an actor was not in their periphery at all for me you know they 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 had very the immigrant dreams of me becoming a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer you know getting really good grades going to harvard going to yale going to princeton you know so because they came to new york and my mom was a seamstress and my dad worked in restaurants you know they were blue collar workers Keep talking. You just keep talking. Oh, yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm relating with you because my parents were immigrants. Uh-huh. So we're both first-generation Americans. My mother also was a seamstress oh. when she came through. But she went through Hollywood. She spent a, a stint, you know, being a domestic in Hollywood before coming to New York to marry my father. And my father was already here. And he worked in restaurants. Mm. And, he, and oh it's sort gosh. of like, I, exactly. That's why I'm sitting here like, you see, this is what happens. You know, we in the same circle, but we don't know each other. This is Teller Leong, y'all. This, <laughs> you, but, but it's so interesting that you talk about the, the immigrant dream and how this whole idea of what you're doing and kind of what I'm doing was never in the conversation. Arts, arts was never in the conversation. Never. And it's really interesting how, how theater kind of found me because my parents, you know, I, I kind of had the typical traditional Chinese tiger mom <laughs> who wanted me to get very good grades. And, you know, one of the and things was, did. one of the things was they, they were like, we forbid you to watch. You know, my mom would call it junk cartoons, no cartoon after school, you know, do your homework, no cartoons. The only thing I could watch mm-hmm. was PBS because it was educational. Wow. Well, on PBS was great performances. So the first Broadway show I ever saw, even though I grew up in Brooklyn only 40 minutes away, I was eight years old and I saw Into the Woods. The original cast of Into the Woods on great performances, Bernadette Peters, Joanna Gleason, Chip Zion, you know, all that that whole... That whole experience, and I, I, I didn't know what music theater was. Right. I didn't know. I just knew that I was watching these fairy tale characters that we all knew, mm-hmm. and but the stories were being mixed all together and like mashed up together, and they were, and, and the music and the songs were catchy, and and I was like, I, I just, I didn't know what I was watching, oh and that's God. when, that's when I got bit by the bug was wow. great performances, PBS. Sondheim. Yeah, the funniest thing now, because I was in Texas watching that same broadcast. I'm Okay, everybody, Telly Young is probably like 20 years younger than me. What's going on? <laughs> and here we are having this 
for me at least, this wonderful connection of, which is something that I try for you guys, if you're listening, to understand that, you know, this kind of energy, this kind of thing comes from someplace and ends up touching all of us everywhere. So if you're wherever you are, you feel that urge, you feel that bug, know that it's happened to people that live in New York. Oh, yeah. And it's happened to people that don't live in New York. It finds you. And it finds if you. you. If you have a passion for this and you have a passion for theater and for storytelling and for music, mm-hmm. like it finds you. You know, I don't want, uh, you know, Billy Porter, I count as a dear friend, but also a, a mentor and a teacher. Michael McElroy, you know, same thing. Yeah. And like they, you know, Sunday in the Park with George found them. In many ways, do you mean like they, they, you know, they grew up in Pitts, you know, you know, Billy grew up in Pittsburgh, Michael grew up in Ohio, but like they went to their local library and they got that cast recording out. Do you mean? And that's that's how that's how they they were moved by theater and inspired by theater. And, you know, the common denominator being Stephen Sondheim for all of us. But like but, you know, but that was it was something that I don't know. It's just if if it's in you, Mm -hmm. the right thing will awaken it in you I feel like it's just waiting to be it's just waiting to be woken up in a lot of ways Taylor Leong with me here on the curtain call and you know again like I said eight shows a week down the block (laughs) he's doing with Circle in the Square Theater he's doing In Transit so you can always see him on stage always wink wink nudge nudge and at the same time um, you can have his music and you can hear him singing I you know it's like as I listen to you sing I ask myself the same question that everyone always asks because, you know, sometimes we're just really ridiculous and so stuck in our head. But where did that soulfulness come from in your Chinese upbringing? Hold on. Growing up in New York City. You know, growing up in New York City and, like, you know, I had the, you know, this was before uh, iPhones Mm -hmm. and I, you know, iPods. You know, I had my three CD disc changer double cassette deck that was like the Christmas, like that was like the ultimate Christmas present er, that you got. Right, you can make your own mixtapes, and you can like turn on Z100 or turn on like KTU and like all those New York City radio stations, and like press record on those songs. And so the singers that I grew up with, I mean, first of all, all of that '90s R&B, right? So like all of that, like I mean, Mary J. Blige, like Joe Dassey. But then going back to the '80s, I was such like a, a Michael Jackson fan and a Whitney fan. Like that was like the voice that I felt like touched me and made me go, "Gosh, like." What is how is she how is she communicating to me? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't like know you, woman, Lu- but you know, Lu- yeah, Luther Vandross, like those yeah. singers. You know what I mean? And then turning on the oldie stations and hearing, you know, the pa- the, the the Patty Labelle's and the mm-hmm. so I, those were the singers that spoke to me. Right. So I I I felt like I just you know imitation is the best flattery in a lot of ways. Like I just started like singing like those people, wow. you know. And of course, like growing up in the nineties, you know, too, like Mariah Carey was like a huge voice of that era. And so you know that. That, that's kind of where my musical influence came from, po- kind of pop R&B. Yeah. And then you start studying voice and they're like, get all of that out. You got to start studying legit and bel canto and like arias. And yeah. do you know I mean, they're like, you really want to do eight times a week? You really need technique right. and you need to like study the other styles. Mm-hmm. So then I had to discipline myself, you know, having very good pop music instincts, but right. then disciplining myself to kind of go, right, I, now I got to now I got to find an opera aria and like do that too. Yeah. Wow. It's so funny you say that because just recently I saw uh, Heather Headley, mm. and she was talking about having that ex- experience of, you know, when she was asked at Northwestern, like, so where's your training? She's like, church. Church. That's all I sang. I, ch- I sang church music. And she had to do that whole thing of classically training herself now and having to let go of all of that that instinct. So how but hard... How cool for her that now she's, like, back to gospel, and that's, like, the thing that, like, she really does. How cool is that? She It's, like, full circle, exactly. you know what I mean? But for you, though, it's sort of like you still have... 
more to sing, right? Mm-hmm. So my thing is, is that what comes next for you? Like you, you're in a show now. You're very busy because, again, this is the thing that, again, uh, who's it? Uh, Lin-Manuel put it down about the immigrants get the job done. (laughs) It's like you're a first-generation American, and I know being as such that you have at least seven jobs right now. So (laughs) (laughs) So are you recording more? Yeah, you know, always. You know, I I, I feel like the demands of music theater are such that you kind of have to do it all. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, having done shows like Flower Drum Song and Pacific Overtures that demands sort of a more legit training, I was very thankful to have that, you know. But then, you know, doing shows like Rent and In Transit that feel much more like the kind of singing I did ever since I was a little kid listening to pop singers on the radio. Like, right. you know, it's so so it's in many ways, I feel like the, the demands of being a music theater actor demands that you kind of have a wide range of musical genres up your sleeve but then when it comes to my own music and my own albums you know I I really consider that this wonderful collaboration between me and my musicians and my musicians are you know it's Gary Adler who was one of the co-composers of Alter Boys and was the musical director for Avenue Q the entire time Um, and then through Gary I met the amazing Marianne McSweeney Mm -hmm. who plays bass for me all the time Michael Kreuter who plays drums for me Um, they were they were also part of the band at Avenue Q as well for the entire run and Mm -hmm. Michael Kreuter also is uh, has Yellow Sound label which is his record label that he produces a lot of Mm -hmm. Broadway artists on and also now you know now cast recordings as well you know the Yellow Sound, you know, was nominated for the Matilda yep. recording, and and they and they also did the Allegiance cast recording, which was wonderful, along with Broadway Records, and that like that core group of musicians. When we get together in a rehearsal room, we kind of take a song that we know and love, you know, a song like New York State of Mind, and I go, Hey, Marianne, can we do something funky with this that kind of reminds me of Miles Davis because I love Miles Davis. So like, can we pretend like what would happen if we took this Billy Joel song that everybody knows and loves, mm-hmm. but we like pretended that Miles Davis wrote it. You know what I mean? And we did the same thing with Galileo, you know, by the Indigo Girls. We said there's this folky, like, lesbian folk song feel to to Galileo. But what if Stephen Schwartz wrote this? What if this was, like, Meadowlark? And it was, like, this great story song. So then Gary came up with that kind of arrangement. You know what I mean? And, And so, you know, that's kind of how the CDs came about because I was also in, you know, in between Broadway shows, mm-hmm. I love playing clubs. I love playing Birdland and mm-hmm. 54 Below and uh, places like Don't Tell Mama and mm-hmm. Feinstein's at the Nico. I mean, I, I love, I, I also love doing that. I love kind of, because that's an opportunity for me to be telly singing songs that I love to sing and it's not telly as Angel or telly as Sammy. You know, it's telly as telly telling my story, telling the story of my parents and how I came to be here. And mm-hmm. and um, and we, we wanted to do something special with the music that's part of the soundtrack of my life. So th- really, when I get together with those musicians, mm-hmm. that the albums that we've created, the two albums, I'll Cover You and Songs for You, are really kind of what's been born out of just us us being creative in a room and taking music we love and going let's flip it on its head and like do something different with it that's amazing well see that's the beauty of being in a city like New York where you have that pool of talent constantly available and it's a testament to how much of a nice guy you must be for so no and I say that only as someone who has honestly this is the first time we've actually really met Matt But at the same time, because I know part of the circle of people that you hang out with, and at the same time, this work that you're getting to do consistently, like people don't like to work with people they don't like mm-hmm. if they don't have to. And so clearly, 
it sounds like Gary Adler and you have a fantastic oh, relationship. Yeah. You know? He's my partner in crime. You know? And, you know, I also feel like in many ways, because my parents were immigrant parents and they could only afford one kid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I never had any brothers and sisters. So I feel like as an only child, I feel like everybody, I mean, everybody in this business is in this business because they're a little bit damaged. Like either they were like the middle child that didn't get enough attention or they were the baby that got too much attention and now they're addicted. Well, I, I, my damage is that I was an only child and I was really lonely and I had my imagination. That's all I had with me. I, I played pretend a lot. So those two things combined is the reason why I'm here because every time I feel like I'm in a cast, you know, I don't call them my colleagues like I call like I call my casts my allegiance family or like my rent family my flower drums on family because I end up spending more time with them than I do my real family and they do become brothers and sisters in a lot of ways so you know my my band you know my casts my in transit family like we I actually call them family because that is who they are I mean I'm I am as honest and as emotionally and artistically naked and bare with them as I would be with my own family I trust them like family and so to me it's weird like in my 20s uh, you know performing and like being on a stage was was the thrill Mm -hmm. and now it's weird I I still love to perform but in my 30s I'm like oh it's the hang like it's not just the performing and the getting to like move audiences and tell the story and having a new audience in the theater every night which is great but I was like it's the whole hang of like getting to do it with people you love and admire and like want to collaborate with like you want to get dirty in a sandbox with them and like make something new and you know that's what's so exciting really across the street at in transit you know that that's that happened every day in rehearsal getting to be in a sandbox with you know those 11 actors that are doing that every night because we truly never stop for 90 minutes we never stop singing or i mean we are truly an ensemble show Mm -hmm. um and then getting to work with somebody like kathleen marshall is is you know who is such a pro but because she's such a pro she knows to listen to everybody in the room Mm -hmm. and when there's a good idea she like hangs on to it so it feels collaborative and you as an artist feel ownership of it even though she comes in super prepared of, of like what she thinks she wants to see and then but she's also flexible enough to go gosh like this is the direction that this piece is going i mean it's really she's like somebody that i I, you know, having worked with her now, like I, I will, like whatever you want me to do, Kathleen, like I will go do it. I will, perf- I will perform for no money in a church basement somewhere. Wow. If you're directing, like I am there because wow. she makes it a joy. She makes it fun. Yeah. She makes it fun and playful, and you know that's the whole reason. She makes the hang good. That's Telly Leong, honey, talking about his wonderful, wonderful, fun ensemble of just geniusly talented singers that are singing their. Freaking faces <laughs> off eight shows a week here in New York City at Circle in the Square Theater. And it's fun. Okay, so we mentioned Kathleen Marshall, and that brings me back to what I'd wanted to ask you about yeah. earlier because, you know, you talked about um, when you were at uh, Carnegie Mellon. This yeah. is, a, this is you know, I'm just going to go through the history for the people, mm-hmm. you know. If you go to tellyleong.com and oh. look on this thing, you'll find all the stuff that we're about to talk about because I didn't know. I had to look. So you... Um, you went to Carnegie Mellon yep. and you studied. You um, wound up getting cast in a performance of Company. Right. It was it was actually my senior thesis show. So it was my senior musical. It was going to be Company and Billy Porter, 
This was while he was he wanted to take a little break from performing, and mm-hmm. he wanted to start stretching himself as a writer and as a director. Right. So he went back to his alma mater, mm-hmm. Carnegie Mellon, and he said, I, if I'm going to s- stretch myself and, and learn how to direct, it should be where I've learned the craft of theater, so I'm going to do it in a safe space. I'm going to go back home to Pittsburgh, and that's where I'm going to do it. So, um, so we were lucky enough to be you know, directed by him and also be his students. And, um, and you know, he was – there's a whole bunch of people that he still claims as his students mm-hmm. to this day, you know, and we're all very proud to be claimed by Billy. You know, me, Leslie Odom Jr., Patina mm-hmm. Miller. You know, he calls us all. He's, you know, whenever he introduces us, it's not Broadway's telling. He's like, that's my student. That's what he says. Wow. And he, he claims us, you know, and I love being claimed by him. But um, but he, uh, he came back and he directed Company. I got cast as Bobby. Mm-hmm. Now, Bobby Booby Baba, yep. And, um, uh, you know, a 20-year-old a, a, a Bobby, you know, I'm a little close to that age now. I think I, I'd love another shot at it because, yeah. because I feel like wow. now, I re- now I really get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now I really understand what that struggle is. But at 22, I, I mean, I got it to a point, yeah. but not like I get it now. Well, the thing about it is that you didn't get to live it. No. And now you've lived it. You've lived it, yep. And that's what makes the craft of acting so great. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you know, to rewind a little bit. So Billy graduated in 91. Mm-hmm. And when Billy graduated, he had a Broadway show that he went right into. He went in, right into the original company of Miss Saigon. With? With Leia Salonga, my show sister. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so the dance captain of Miss Saigon back in 91 is this gentleman named Mark Oka, mm-hmm. who if you guys go on IBDB, you can look up Mark Oka. He's done like 10 Broadway shows. He's done a bazillion Broadway shows. Ja- Japanese-American actor, phenomenal. Dancer, amazing. Um, and he's going to be doing the new Pacific Overtures directed by John Doyle with George Takei coming up as well. He's a very dear friend. He's part of the he's part of our Asian Broadway family. Which we're gonna um, talk about that too. Go that's ahead. right. But um but he um so he so so that was Billy's dance that was Billy's dance captain back in ninety one. Wow. So now fast forward to me graduating in two thousand and two. Um, and Billy, having lived in L.A., saw the L.A. production of Flower Drum Song that was out of town and knew that it was going to be moving to Broadway in the fall of right. 2002. So Billy picks up the phone and he calls his old friend Mark Oka, who is also the dance captain of Flower Drum Song. And he goes, hey, listen, there's this kid in, that I am teaching right now, Carnegie Mellon. His name is Telly Leung. He has no agent. He has no like representation, no anything. He's still a senior in school. But I really think you need to see him for Flower Drum Song. So Billy basically gets me an appointment to go to this agent invite-only, appointment-only dance call that, like, you know, mm-hmm. everybody else at this dance call had, right. had done a Broadway show before. They were in right. Saigon or, so, you know, or Shogun or something. So you show up and it's like, okay, every like, Asian actor. Who's this kid? Right. right. Who's this kid? Like, I don't, we don't know her. So, right. <laughs> so I, so, but, but as if you guys know company, right. Bobby is in every single scene. scene. And this was during Tech Week. So mm-hmm. Billy said, now, I got you this audition, but you can't miss Tech. So you gotta you gotta do tech till midnight. Then I got my ass on a Greyhound bus from Pittsburgh to New York, which got to Port Authority at like nine a.m. in the morning. I splashed some water on my face. I, w- I went straight to Ripley Greer, and I was at my first Broadway audition dance call jazz. I mean, old school Bobby Lombardo, uh-huh. the director, old school jazz combination uh-huh. cuts, ballet combination cuts. Then they oh, had you sing God. more cuts. Then they had you read more cuts. I was I'm there. Like getting excited just hearing this. I was there from like... 10 a.m. to like 2 p.m. And you know, Mark. I, you know, Mark was the only person I sort of knew because uh-huh. of because of um, Billy. And Mark had had whispered, some, you know, to Bobby Longbottom mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, this is the this is the the person that Billy Porter referred." And he said, "Oh, Bobby goes. I hear you're doing company mm-hmm. right now." So he was like, "Can you sing Being Alive?" 
So then I sang Being Alive, something that was like in my body and and ready to go because I just sang it 12 (laughs) hours ago in tech in Pittsburgh the night before. So so then, you know, I so then I I go through all day of auditions. I jump right back on the bus because I have class Mm -hmm. the next day. I can't miss any more class. Um, And so I, I get back to Pittsburgh. And, you know, this is before cell phones, this is before, you know, all of that, really. Um, and, and Billy's already there, and he's waiting for me. And, I, and Billy goes, so, how'd it go? And I, and I told him, I was like, you know, I made it through the jazz, I made it through the ballet, and then they had me sing, and I sang Being Alive. I told him, the, the, the and, he's like, and he's like, mm-hmm, I already know, diva. He's <gasps> like, I already got a phone call about you. And basically, Billy had already known that I was, like, really in the running for this job. I still had a final callback to go to and all of that, but like, but basically, Mark had called Billy and said, "I think we're going to hire him," and that was my Broadway debut. And you know, I didn't know I got the job then, but you know, I said to Billy, "I said to Billy, listen, um, I don't know if I'm going to get this job. If I get this job, I know I only get like 30 words in my playbill or something, but the last four words in that playbill will be thank you, Billy Porter, if I get this job. And if you look at my first Broadway playbill, the last four words of my playbill, even though, you know, as ensemble members don't get to say very much, you know, but but the last four words of my playbill are thank you, Billy Porter, because he really like stuck his neck out for me and and like and, you know, put his name on the line. For somebody he believed in, and it's interesting. Like so many people, he's done that for so many people in this yeah. business. And um, and I remember the night he won his Tony. Mm-hmm. I, I felt, you know, I watched it at home on my television, but you could hear like the screams of oh, wow. from many living rooms mm-hmm. all across the nation of all the people that Billy has championed in that same way. Wow. I'm like one of many stories wow. of 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 that man, like you know, helping out in that way. That is so, wonderful. so you know, I'm I'm really I I'm, I'm I, I I still consider him a, a mentor and um, somebody I really look up to, and I'm a, I've I've always been a fan, yeah. and you know, and a friend, you know, and so. How? Wow, Billy Porter, you shout out Billy, hey yeah. Miss Billy, how you been? Billy you Porter. just I think that that's such a wonderful testament to what I think is so true about. You know, when people say it's about luck, because when you tell that story, there's so many elements of that story. It's like, oh, my God, how lucky for him that Billy Porter was the person that taught the class and Billy Porter was the one who was his director. And he, you know, how lucky, lucky, lucky. But there's a part of that story that also says that means you are freak and talented. Well, I will. But I will also say this. So, yes, I I mean, I definitely think that, you know, luck is is definitely requires a ton Mm -hmm. of preparation to meet that opportunity. But, you know. You know, yes, the first one is luck, mm-hmm. but you know, four months later, our show closed. Right. You know, there were blizzards that year. There was a musician strike. I mean, everything that could have happened. The two thousand two, and you know, nine eleven was still in the air, right. so people weren't really still wanting heartfelt shows. You know, Mamma Mia did very well right mm-hmm. then because it was very entertaining. Right. We were across the street from Hairspray where nobody could get a ticket yeah. to Hairspray because that right. was like a fun, happy That's musical. We were like the sad Asian show across the street. <laughs> I remember the day of the blizzard, there were more people backstage than there were out, out, and out in the house watching. I think there were like 30 people in the audience during one of the blizzard days, and we didn't can- We were one of the few shows that didn't cancel. And so we were doing the show for like 30 people. Wow. But, you know, f- you know, four months wow. later, four months later, yes, I got the very lucky break being that person out of my class to have a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. But four months later, I was right there pounding pavement with the rest of my classmates, like mm-hmm. auditioning, yep. hustling for a gig, unemployed. But with his equity card, honey. So <laughs> that's, that's right. and possibly an agent. How you doing, that's right? Right. right. Pound, yes. So yes. So pounding pavement was a little easier mm-hmm. after that. But you know, used to. But it's interesting. It's um in our, in our show in transit. One of our main characters is this character Jane, who's a thirty three year old actress, right. who um 
has it's been her dream to make it on Broadway. Yep. And she she has a wonderful line in the show that, you know, you can't put a callback on the resume. And that every time you get really close to a job, it doesn't matter that you get close. Only one person gets the job. Even if you get the job, let's say you get the job and you're on Broadway and you're in a show. Well, it's not. this isn't like a normal profession where you work in the same company and 50 years later you can retire and they give you a gold watch at the end of 50 years and you have something to show for it. You are always, as Adina Menzel would say, starting over. You know, you're always starting over. So, you know, you're in many ways it's a it's and I say that to young actors too because I feel like some young actors feel like, "Oh, if I get that Broadway show, I, I'm made. My career is going to be smooth sailing." Well, actually, it's not. And you know, and you know, you and I both have many friends who've won Tony Awards who actually say that it's even harder after they win a Tony Award. That's where people stick you in their head. And that, and it, it limits you sometimes even more in people's perception. And also many people just go, oh, well, so-and-so won the Tony. They're not going to want to do X, yeah. Y, and Z. So sometimes and people don't ask. Sometimes, they, they were, sometimes you get people in the industry afraid to ask when you win those big awards. So it's interesting. It's like you think, gosh, if I get on Broadway, everything's going to be set. Well, not really. Gosh, if I win that Tony Award, everything's going to be set. Well, not really. I think it's, it's, always, it's always a hurdle. And I think that the sooner for all my young aspiring actors out there, the sooner you embrace that and go, that's just the way it is mm-hmm. and, and kind of have a very Zen Buddhist attitude about it and go, that's nothing I can change about this business. That's just show business. And that's what I'm going to choose to do with my life. Mm-hmm. The sooner you will find joy in it, right. I think, because then you can release that. Mm-hmm. You can release that like false expectation that like, God, once I get that, whatever that that part or that statue or that you know on my shelf that everything's going to be okay like that's actually not true <laughs> not true and and i think it's also you know when once you realize that too you then start to find balance in your life then you start you know finding like hey like maybe life isn't all about maybe being in new york city is not all about pounding pavement and auditions maybe i have to like also find friends yeah. and like find love and have a social life and like and make that. sure i find time for myself and but you know but, but but it's hard when you go gosh i have to be working really hard at my career sometimes you only have blinders on and you don't do those things and then you ignore the life things that actually make you better so so yeah i always say that to to young to young artists, you know, I, I also love to teach. That's right. that's I another know. passion of mine. I feel like so many things I have to talk to you. About. <laughs> to go go I know, but but like, but so when I teach, that's something that I so stress to my students because when they first get out of school at 21, 22, all they can see is is right is the goal, the goal of like I, I got to get that gig or I got to you know I got to prepare, I got to this. All right, that yes, you should, you should always prepare, but also don't forget you live in one of the greatest cities in the world. It's New York. Like enjoy enjoy life. You know, so great. It's so great. So my God. So Telly, it's like so many things we have to talk about, Telly. I don't even so know if we're nice. going to be get it all in. I know. Um, I'm trying to think. The when you came, you did uh, Flower Drum Song mm-hmm. and Pacific Overtures, and you're working with, uh, you know, Stephen Sondheim oh, is right there in the room with you when you're doing Pacific Overtures. BD Wong was in that too, yes. right? I love me some BD Wong. BD Wong. Um, how? How is it for you now? I'm, I'm going to say this in a really, I guess it's kind of silly when I say it this way because I'm of a certain age and I know that there are certain things that you don't have to worry about. But like, you know, as someone who's grown up basically African-American in this mm-hmm. country, and as I sit across from you is this wonderful young Asian-American actor, you know, Chinese-American if you want to be specific. Mm-hmm. But, but here you are sitting in a room singing music with Stephen Sondheim, who is Stephen Sondheim, who, oh my God, oh my God. Right. You know, into the woods. Oh my God! 
you know, then you go company. Oh my God. Right. Like, how does it feel to know that you were that connected to him in a distance? And then here you are in the room there. He is talking about his piece. So I'm going to share some stories with you about. So it was the first read through of Pacific Overtures. And my entire 2004 company of Pacific Overtures will remember this story very fondly. We were all sitting around the table the first time singing through and reading through the show. None of us had had any rehearsal. So we're all kind of doing it cold. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman are there sitting there. So we are all a nervous wreck. I don't know if Stephen, I don't know if he intended to do this, but he had on a sweater. It was a small, it was a small rehearsal room at Roundabout, so it mm-hmm. got warm right. in there. He took off his sweater, and he was wearing a South Park T-shirt <laughs> with Mr. Hanky, the Christmas poo, <laughs> on it. And the Christmas poo with the Christmas hat had on a little speech bubble that said, Howdy ho, like, the, like you know, Mr. Hanky does. <laughs> and so I, I, all of us... All of us were, and I wish it was that. Like, wish we all had cell phones and iPhones. We we would all have snapped a picture. But like, all of us kind of were like, "What's happening?" Like, we in the middle of reading Pacific Overtures, like Stephen Sondheim is wearing a a a, a, a Christmas poop. So then, BD, of course, was the brave individual, the leader of the company, to finally walk up to Steve Sondheim and go, "All right, we have to ask, what's up with the South Park?" And now we know he's a big fan of South Park. You know, now he's now with the Book of Mormon and those. Right. You know, you know. And now we know he's he loves wow. that. He loves. He's such a fan. But he even said something to BD. He says, "Well, I, I guess you expect me to have a T-shirt with Beethoven on it or something." He's like, "Nope, I like to go home and watch South Park just like everybody else." And I was like, "You know what? It, it actually like, I, I don't know." And and it's interesting. I thought. Maybe it happened. Maybe it was just a happy accident, mm-hmm. or maybe he did it on purpose because right. he knew, knowing that he is called the living legend, right. and you know and that right, the the, the Messiah of music theater. Do you know what I mean like yeah. you know? Uh, uh, and I think he knows that he has to sometimes like knock it down a peg for us, for us to be able to then play and yeah. like work. And it's interesting. The other the other great thing that I learned about Steve Sondheim was you know as as somebody who's just such a fan, I feel like God, it's like it's like the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like you can't like change a word or a rhythm or that. And actually, Paul Gimignani, his, his longtime musical director, would ask everybody, so do you like this key? Do you want to change this key? And I was like, what do you mean change the key? This is, he wrote, th- I was like, he wrote this. This is Steve Sondheim. How do you change the key? And yeah. Slap him for his insolence. Yeah. He goes, and Paul goes, well, Steve would want you to sing it in like a comfortable key. So yes, he'd let us change the key if you want. And then so you remember, you're like, right, he did write this show 30 years ago, but now it is 2004. We're, we're doing a revival. People haven't seen the show and it's on new actors. And he wants to work with you as much as you want to work with him. And that, that actually made it really a joyful experience. And, um, and even though we all kind of, you know, worship him, in many ways he... He, that is counterproductive to right. to collaborating, wow. so he made it so that it was comfortable for all of us. And you know, he, you know, um, our director. It was actually the first time an, an Asian person directed a Broadway musical. Was Amon Miyamoto directing Pacific Overtures? If you can imagine the history of music theater from beginning to end, he was the first person, first Asian person Jeez to ever direct. Louise. Yeah, it's it's huge. That's something that most people don't really like recognize but he was the first and um and you know and John Weidman and Steve Sondheim saw the production in in Japan and also in Lincoln Center and sought him to do this revival because they said this was our goal with Hal Prince the original was to tell this through Japanese eyes well here we are three white men mm-hmm. you to find a Japanese director from Japan to tell it through his eyes 
that's really completing our vision. So he, they were, I mean, uh, you know, he was always, he came to the show often. And he, he came to the show often because he loves the show. And this was also at the height, at the beginning of the Iraq War. So our show also had a lot of political resonance, too, with kind of what was happening in the world. And, and I think John and Steve also, like, did rewrites to reflect that. And so um, it, was, it was really great. Wow. It was really, really great to, to, be, to, to, be, um, to, to get to collaborate with a hero right. of yours. And get to collaborate with a hero and be seen for your talent. Like, I think to yeah. me, I think, you know, granted that Pacific Overtures itself has a, a clearly definite Asian theme, but, yeah. and, you know, allegiance as well. But what is happening, I think, is that the storytelling is allowing folks who don't know to be able to get in and see, because that's how I felt about allegiance. Right. Um, but at the same time, this, uh, I, I'm thinking of, you know, if you'd have said to yourself, 25 years ago that you would have been sitting in a room with with the Stephen Sondheim. No. Yeah. Having, I've, having sung his work, done his work once on stage, and then coming back and being asked to do his work after a you know, series of auditions, of course. Yeah. But, and having that be a part of your history at such a young age. Yeah, I was, I mean, a very... I'm like, I hate to fark... No, I'm, I was, I was definitely know. very... I was 24 when that happened, 25. Jesus. And so, uh, you know, uh, but I, it was not lost on me. Good. And it was not lost on me because of people like Billy Good. and, you know, teachers that I've had. And it was, you know, it was just, listen, it was not something I ever thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, I didn't expect to work with Stephen Sondheim. That was not something that was even in the, the realm of, of, of possibility to me. And uh, to get that opportunity was, you know, I, I feel like I've had a lot of those experiences. You know, I, I felt that same way when I worked with Stephen Schwartz on Wicked and also on Godspell. I was like, I'm working with Stephen Schwartz. Uh- you know, and, and then the same thing happened when I joined Rent. It was the same thing. I, I said, I am doing the show that, that at 16. Right. And also at 16, the show came out when I was 16 and in high school. We knew every word. I mean, that was the Hamilton of my day. Exactly. And so, you know, and, and, or, or the Wicked of my day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was, there was always that one show that, like, defines a generation, mm-hmm. I feel like. And Rent was definitely that for us. Wow. And so, you know, everybody knew every word. It didn't matter if you liked Broadway at all. Not, you knew Rent. Yeah. And so for me to get to do that and, and like, you know, work with Michael Greif, who like who, who you know, it was incredible. I think your pedigree of 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 uh, collaborator collaborator, excuse me, has it's just a, such a wonderful piece of tapestry to see happen for you right now. And it's to think about how that those seeds that you've gotten from those places, how they're going to bloom in you later, because, as you said, it's living that's helped you become a better mm-hmm. In your mind, certainly a better Bobby if that opportunity were to come around again. <laughs> that would be great. Right? Yeah, and I think that's part of it too. Is that you know, I, I, I am a, I am a big believer in education, and I'm a big, um, and I do have a passion for teaching, mm-hmm. and so in. in in all of these wonderful collaborations, you know, the the Billy Porters, the Kathleen Marshalls, the Stephen Schwartz, the Stephen Sondheims, the John Weidmans, I like, I feel like to the next gig, I take all of those people with me to the next gig and I take all of those people with me to a classroom because I feel like that that is, that really is the the beauty of, of, of this the, theatrical art, you know, and I've met many people, you know, I've worked with people who've, you know, who got, you know, my, my, I have a dear friend. Her name is Lainey Sakakura, mm-hmm. and she uh, did flower drum song with me. But she was the first dance captain of, um, uh, she was the dance captain of Fosse on Broadway. So she got it from Gwen, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got it from Gwen and Ann, got it from Gwen and Ann, and then got it from who got it from Bob Fosse. So that lineage of being able to pass that down, you know, and then certainly working with Lainey on my first Broadway show, it was her upteenth Broadway show. She was a Broadway gypsy already, but then I learned from her. And then I take that with me and then I pass it on. You know, then when it came time for me to do Allegiance mm-hmm. and I was a leading man in a show, I hope to impart some of those things to that next generation of Asian artists coming up. And so it's, there's, a, there's a sense of passing it on that I feel is, is our duty as artists mm-hmm. in many ways. And, um, and we, we do it as performers. We do it as teachers. We do it as castmates to each other, you know, as, as collaborators to each other. You know, that you're, you're responsible for bringing ev- all of everything to the table. And that means all of the people that you've worked with. Wow. Wow. Well, honey, that sounds like a dinner table that I'd love to hang out at, right? That's a good dinner table. Come that's on. like the oh, that's like the Oprah table of like Woo. the Oprah dinner. What's that? Like the Oprah dinner when yeah. she has like the, you know, the it's, like Sydney pa- it's like Sydney Pottier. Yeah. Sitting, yeah. <laughs> sure. Man, man. And you to think of that. the... That's a good series, Keith. You should do that. Oh. Broadway dinner table. Yeah, I think you should do it. See? I think that's a good idea. I I would do it, and I love to eat, so that works out. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> just like talk theater and eat, and, and like eat. assemble a table of amazing artists, and like All the time. Kiki, and just Kiki, yeah. because man, the stories are just. I think that's amazing, though. I again, like I said, with you, how fantastic that you have that that piece of history, you have that lineage within you, yeah. and it's wonderful to see that. And now. As you keep moving forward, because again, the documentary that you're in, where we're talking about, because they show him, honey, he is over in this documentary teaching uh-huh. about the the Jimmys. What's the name yeah, of that? Broadway, Broadway or bust, yeah, Broadway or bust, PBS, yeah. And how funny, PBS, what PBS, brought you in, yep. and there you are, honey, whipping these children into shape, and it's wonderful because it's it's watching you be able to do what you do, and at the same time watching you be able to give back and watching you appreciate all the work that you're putting into this. It's, it's kind of groovy. So again, Telly Leong, y'all, eight shows a week here in New York at Circle in the Square in the show In Transit. Watch him acapella sing and try to deal with his Texas boyfriend. Ah! ah. That's right. And at the same time, you can get songs for you on Broadway records as well as um, uh, I'll Cover You. Yes? Yeah. As well. And so, Telly, Man, good luck to you. You Thank just you. you are working it, honey. Thank you. And it's it's amazing. So I don't know what what should we go out with? We should go out with something from here. Uh let's go out with um this is a glee inspired mashup. Let's go out with I am what I am. I have nothing. It's like a mashup Ooh. of two of my favorite things, Whitney Houston and Broadway. So it's a little Jerry, a little Jerry Herman, a little Whitney Houston. That All pretty right. much sums me up in a, <laughs> in one song. Perfect, perfect. And so that's what we're going to do. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great and we will be back. I am my own special creation So come take a look Give me the hook or the ovation It's my world that I want to have a little pride in My world and it's not a place I have to hide And life is not worth the 